0: Well, good morning and welcome again to The Grove. We are so glad that you are with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. If you're joining us for the first time, or maybe your first time in a while, we are really, really glad that you are here today. My name is Stephen, and I am one of the pastors here. And I also want to take a moment to welcome everybody who's worshiping online. Uh, It's kind of that time in kind of our season where, for many of you, if you were worshiping online, you're like, it's kind of time that we get back in church. And so if you are worshiping online this morning, I just want to encourage you, it's time to come back in church. (laughs) Unless you have like some physical distance or proximity issue, there's space for you come on back to church. Now, we are in week two of a sermon series called Troubled Hearts. And what we talked about last week was really in all of our lives, there are emotions that kind of course through us, kind of in our everyday life. But there are some emotions that kind of lurk deeper in the midst of our hearts that eventually end up wrecking havoc in our lives. Emotions that we don't deal with, that we don't name, that we don't acknowledge, and they end up kind of bubbling up and bursting out into our life in ways that we can't control and we can't manage. And So what we talked about is how oftentimes what we try to do is to focus on behavior modification We have an outburst, we say something unkind, we have this kind of streak of jealousy, or we have been overcome with greed in a particular moment, or we have this wash of guilt, and we think we need to adjust and address kind of the outward expressions of our behaviors. We need to kind of focus on the symptoms. Really, what we have to do is to begin to look deeper into our own hearts and to begin to address the emotions that are going unnamed and untamed inside of our own hearts, and begin to transform our hearts as a way... To have a fuller richer life and so this morning we're going to talk about one of those specific emotions and the emotion that we are talking about today I decided that if we were going to start off on one we should just cast the widest net possible and so this is one that I think all of us struggle with um, if you're here today and you're like I don't struggle with this then go home later and ask your family if you struggle with this and I'm sure that they will affirm that you do now, the emotion that we're talking about this morning is anger. And the definition that I'm going to be kind of operating with this morning is anger really occurs when we don't get what we want. Now, on first blush, that might feel like, well, that's not always true. But if you begin to kind of, kind of probe the examples or the pushback or the immediate like, resistance that you have to that idea in your mind, at, what you realize is at the heart of every interaction— at the heart of every scenario or circumstance or situation that you find yourself in where you have felt angry, it was because in some way, shape, or form, on some level, you didn't get what you wanted. Somebody didn't speak to you the way that you wanted or the way that you thought they should. Someone didn't treat you the way that you wanted. There was something that happened that went against what you hoped for, what you expected, what you came to depend on or count on. And so in some way you felt wronged, and that's really what anger is. Anger is this feeling that you've been wronged, that you've, someone has incurred a debt to you, that someone has hurt you, that someone has impacted you, and now there's an imbalance in the relationship that needs to be made whole or that needs to be repaid. Think about those moments when you've gotten angry with somebody and you say the words like, gosh, I just wanna get even, or man, I wish I could pay them back. It's this sense that when you're angry, it's because somebody owes you a debt. And that's really kind of the idea that we're going to be working with this morning when we look through all of the ways that this this emotion of anger wrecks havoc in our life. Anger really is the feeling that you owe me. You didn't give me the attention that you should have when I was a kid. You weren't true or faithful in our relationship. You owe me that. Something has been taken from you that, You're wanting payment for a season, a conversation, a relationship, a decade, your childhood, your future. There is something that you feel like somebody owes you because of a wrong or a series of wrongs that have occurred in your life. Now, the problem with this is when we don't begin to name what these debts are when we don't begin to kind of pay attention to the anger that lurks in us, they start to build and they start to accumulate. And if you've ever kind of had a season in your life like I did when I was 21 and I thought that when you got a credit card and then you moved addresses and they didn't follow up on your new address, it was like free money. And then all of a sudden, like the debt collector started calling. That's what happens in our own lives. You start to build up and accrue these debts and over time, the balance gets significant enough that you start, Demanding payment. And so it might not be a specific instance. It might not be with one particular person. But over time, our balance sheets start to become imbalanced. And we start to get this sense that it's not just a particular person that owes us. It's not just in that moment in time that they owed us. But this shifts from you owe me to everyone owes me. And you've all encountered those people where it felt like it didn't matter what you said or what you did or how much you followed their instruction or did the things the way that they asked you to, it wasn't gonna be good enough. They were gonna find some way to be unhappy, to be upset, to be upset, to be angry about what was happening in that interaction. They just walked around with like this sense that the world owed them something. We kind of have parodies and memes about these people in culture now, people that just seem to just be generally angry at the world. This is what happens. When we don't pay attention to the debts that people incur with us, they start to build up, and this bitterness and this resentment starts to fester in our hearts. And so left untreated, left unnamed and un- kind of resolved, they start to erupt in our lives. Now this is what ends up being problematic in our relationships with anger, is for many of us. There's a reason why we're angry. There's a specific debt or a series of debts that we can pinpoint and name. It's occurred over a season. It's occurred over the duration of a relationship. It's occurred over a series of interactions. You have a boss. You have a friend. You have a parent. You have a child. People that you are angry with because of the interactions that have happened and the hurts that have occurred and the wrongs that have been done and ultimately the debts that are owed. But what happens in the midst of these is we start to develop a story that justifies our sense of why it's okay for us to be angry. We have this whole narrative about, well, the reason that I can act this way, the reason that I get to be angry, we have this justification, whether it's based in a specific story or just a generalized sense of self-justification, that it's okay for us to be angry. For some of us, we think that our anger gives us power. It's a tool that we can wield in life to navigate circumstances. We can look at kind of this track record of the ways that we've used anger as a tool to maybe get what we want. And we think, no, anger is a good thing. Anger is my source. Anger is my fuel. Like, anger is what helps me. Anger is a good thing in my life. The problem is when we think everyone owes us something and we're constantly on the lookout for people to pay, The people that end up paying the most are the people closest to us. So in all of those ways that we feel justified in our anger, that we have a story that can identify or pinpoint the way that we were wronged in our childhood or weren't treated the way that we should have in our relationship or the ways that at work we were done unjustly or unfairly, even though we have these stories and even though we have this justification for our anger, we end up taking it out on the people that we love most. And so when we think that sometimes anger is a good thing it actually probably if you ask the people closest to you they're like no i'd prefer that you didn't have it i prefer that you didn't act that way i prefer that you didn't live a life based in anger Now anger isn't a new issue that we've wrestled with here in the last you know 100 years anger is something that has existed throughout humanity it's a natural occurring emotion. It's normal to feel angry. I'm not saying don't ever feel angry. That's not the point of the sermon, it isn't to not feel the anger. But it's what do we do when it comes? What happens when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like somebody owes us? Whether it's a conversation, whether it's an interaction, whether it's kind of a pattern in a relationship, what is the course of action how do we navigate anger in our lives so that it doesn't become this thing that just builds and festers and turns to like to this toxicity that just spreads throughout our life and we end up as one of those like chronically angry people? What do we do? How do we navigate this? Well, for us, fortunately, anger is addressed a lot in Scripture. And so I want to look at a passage that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Ephesus. And he's writing about how Christians should navigate the world, how they should kind of construct their lives to pattern it after the person of Christ. And so this is, this is the word, this is kind of the, the way that Paul addresses this issue of anger. He says this, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Now, this word, this phrase, get rid of, there is an immediacy. There's kind of like this violent um, sense of urgency to it. It's not like, hey, when you have time, when you've scheduled enough appointments with your therapist and you fully work through all of it, not that therapy's bad, I go to therapy regularly, don't send me the email, but there's a sense of immediacy and urgency to this idea of get rid of. It's like, no, no, this is Anger, rage, malice, all this stuff is toxic to you. It is something that you need to discard and get rid of and away from as quickly as possible. And if you look at the way that Paul writes this sentence, he's really intentional. Because he kind of creates this broad spectrum of every form of kind of relational wedge that can occur. So all bitterness. Kind of that low-grade anger that just stews and festers. It's not violent, but it's just—it just it just kind of kind of spoils the whole personality, all bitterness, all rage and anger, kind of the big expressions, the violent blow-ups, those loud, dramatic kind of moments of aggression, all the brawling and slander, the ways that you attack other people, whether it's physically or whether it's like emotionally and verbally, along with every form of malice, and that's that last kind of catch-all category. It's like any version of like discontent, any version of like anger, all of this stuff it's all lumped into one big category you got to get rid of all of it and that's what he tells us that's kind of the instruction that he gives us now when you hear this at least when i read it it's like okay this is one of those like kind of nice pleasant like bible verses that you know they tell you to do but it's a little Pollyanna-ish because it's not based in like real context or reality because my guess is if you think about the moments that you've been upset Or the ways that you feel that you've been wrong, the hurt that you've incurred in your life and in your relationships, maybe even the hurt that you've experienced this week that maybe has caused you to be angry. You're like, you just want me to just to forget about it and move on? Like you may just ignore and get rid of all of this? That feels a little one, unrealistic. Like, yeah, right, Paul. Like nice thinking. It also kind of feels insensitive. Because for many of us, there's really valid reasons why we feel hurt. There are valid reasons why the things that have been done to us are legitimate. If we just made a line this morning and you just came down one after one and told me your stories of why you felt justified in your anger, my guess is at the end of all of those stories, I would be on your side. I would agree with you. I said, you're right. You have every reason to feel angry. It is totally normal and rational for you to be upset about this. And yet, this is Paul's instruction. Paul doesn't say, get rid of all forms of anger, bitterness, brawling, slander, and malice when it was actually a little more fair than you're letting on. He doesn't condition it, it's this general command. And the, I think the reason that Paul has a little bit of authority in this when he's writing this is because he's not writing from like this, like, Place of luxury, where you know he's in retirement and he's like kind of pontificating on the ideal Christian life, and you know what would happen if we could all live in a vacuum without kind of the bumping up against each other that we do in in our normal lives. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's been unjustly tried and accused, shipped to Rome, and he's been in prison for a year, waiting trial that seems to never be coming. Paul has a lot of reason to feel like life has not been fair. People have not been fair. The Roman government has not been fair to him. In many ways, God hasn't been fair to him that he's in these circumstances. And yet, this is the instruction that he gives us. He says, listen, you've got to get rid of it, like immediately. And then he kind of tells us how we're supposed to get rid of it. And this is what he says. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now, the way that he structures this sentence, forgiveness is separated from the kind and compassionate just with a comma, which the implication is the way that you're supposed to get rid of all of the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and the way that you're supposed to be kind and compassionate to each other is through the means of forgiveness. And so this whole buildup to the sermon about anger and you came to hear somebody tell you just forgive people. That's like really dissatisfying. When I read it, I'm like, I don't want that to be the answer. Like I want it to be a little more like significant, a little more complicated, something that I have to kind of chew on a little bit. It's like, just forgive them. Like that's the way that I'm supposed to be kind and compassionate to people who aren't kind and compassionate to me, is to forgive them. Feels like if this is the answer to anger... It's deeply unsatisfying and often feels like, well, this isn't just and this isn't fair because there should be a sense that people have to repay the debts that that we're owed. Like there are outstanding debts and it's time to collect on these things. They have really wronged us, hurt us, mistreated us. It's unjust, it's unfair for us to just forgive them, to let them off the hook, to just give them a pass on all of this. Paul, that can't be be the way that we're supposed to navigate anger. Is just to say, okay, fine. Don't worry about it. And this is how he finishes that passage. Even in the midst of our own self-justification for why we're angry, the stories that we tell about how we've been wronged and why they owe us, Paul tells us that we should get rid of all of it and to forgive them, to be kind and compassionate to them. And he says it this way. Forgiving each other Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, this is kind of the moment where if you're kind of on the fence about Christianity, you're off the hook. Like, if if you don't ascribe to kind of the philosophy that you should live as Jesus lived, that we should treat each other the way Jesus treated us, then you can ignore this. For the rest of you, if you call yourself a Christian, this is the command. And the moments where you're angry in the moments where you feel rage, the moments when all of that is bubbling up and you're like, they owe me and they should pay because that's what's only fair and right and just. Paul is telling us, get rid of it. Forgive just as God and Christ forgave you. Okay, well... That's a little bit harder, because we all recognize that the litmus test for how we should treat each other is not the way that we've been treated, not as Christians. The litmus test for how we're supposed to treat each other is how God has treated us, and Paul is saying in the same manner. If that's the litmus test for how you treat each other, the way that you're supposed to forgive each other, the reasons that you're supposed to forgive each other, is because God and Christ forgave you, and this is the important shift. We wrongly and falsely assume that the purpose and the recipient of the forgiveness is the offender. We think the whole point of forgiveness is the person that has done the wrong. But what Paul's suggesting isn't you do this for them for a particular reason. Paul's suggesting that the reason and the purpose of forgiveness is actually on the offended party. It's something that helps us. It's something that changes and shifts something and transforms something with us. We do it because Christ forgave us first. The origination is not their deservingness of our forgiveness. The origination is our undeservingness of that same forgiveness that we've all received from God. It shifts and kind of turns upside down this whole paradigm, this whole dynamic. And so instead of navigating this sense of fairness and this sense of justice of who deserves it and who doesn't and how much is owed and did they repay the full amount. Paul's saying, no, you forgive because God forgave you. But again, this is still, it's still, it doesn't feel good. This isn't the answer that any of us want because there are all sorts of questions as we think about forgiveness. Well, okay, but what if they don't ask for forgiveness? Or what if they ask, but you can tell they didn't really mean it? Or what if they continue to violate the same thing that they asked forgiveness for that I already forgave them for? Like how many times do we have to go through this cycle where I offer forgiveness? Or what if, like, they don't agree that I should be forgiving them? What if they don't agree about the debt that's been incurred? Well, what happens if they're dead and they can't apologize? Like, there are all these questions and dynamics around forgiveness. And again, all of those questions are normal and good. But they missed the point. The point of forgiveness is not on the offender. The point of forgiveness is for the offended. Jesus' disciples wrestle with this same dynamic and this same question. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's this whole conversation that Jesus has with his followers. And Peter, kind of one of Jesus' kind of most prominent followers, most of the Gospels kind of tell stories about Peter. Peter asks a similar question that we are all wrestling with as we're hearing this sermon. Like, yeah, but what about? What about? Well, in this situation, should you have, could I have, how, how could I have? This is what he asked. He says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then Peter, trying to live in the example of Jesus, actually gives a, a generous answer. This is kind of broader and more compassionate kind of than the understanding of what forgiveness should look like at the time. He's like, oh, well, let me kind of expand this out a little bit. Ah, how about seven times? Because still, at some point, there has to be a limit. At some point, somebody becomes undeserving of their forgiveness. And again, Peter misses this shift in dynamic. It's not about the offender. Forgiveness is for the offended. It is how we unlock our hearts to be able to move forward in our life. We all have either had moments or know people who are prisoner to their anger, prisoner to their bitterness, prisoner to their resentment. The goal of forgiveness isn't to let the other person off the hook, it's to let yourself off the hook, to let yourself out of that prison. And so Jesus responds. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then some people have kind of tried to go in here to do some kind of like hermeneutical like gymnastics and like, well, 77 is a defined number. So what Jesus is trying to imply is there is a limit. It's just much bigger than the limit that Peter I disagree. I'm not saying they're wrong. I just disagree. Because then Jesus goes on and he tells this story. He starts to paint a picture. And anytime Jesus tells a story, anytime he uses a parable, there are three people. There are three kind of categories of actors in this story. Somebody's God, somebody's us, and somebody's other people. That's kind of all of the roles that we see in in the parables that Jesus plays. And this is what you'll see happen in this story. Maybe you've heard this before. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Who wanted to settle accounts with the servants, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. This is a huge amount of money. And the implication here, even though we don't kind of have the appropriate kind of monetary conversion chart, this was an amount of money that was unrepayable. This was so much money that you couldn't repay it. And I think that's one of the important things about the dynamic in this story that's often missed and what is true about anger. We feel like somebody owes us or someone's owes us or everyone owes us. But if you start to think about what people actually owe you or what you'd actually want repaid, what you realize is most of the time they can never fully repay you. You can't get a relationship back or time back or your childhood back or your reputation back. There are things that you feel like people owe you, the debts that have been incurred against you, that there actually isn't a repayment for. And so Jesus very quickly and brilliantly paints this picture in which we're all captured in. There's a king, who wants to settle accounts. And he has a servant who owes more money than can ever be repaid. Now, it goes on. Since the servant was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That's the point. He can't repay. It's too big to repay. And so we'll kind of take 20%. You know, it's like the debt collecting services do. They buy the debt for a little bit of money, and then it's like, well, better nothing, right? This is what the master does in this moment. And it goes on. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. Listen to the language that the servant uses and what the master says back. You're going to see it again. Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. And in this moment, the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. Now, if there's nothing else you take away from this sermon, hear this. Forgiveness means canceling the debt. Full stop. That's what it means. Forgiveness, according to Jesus, is not about justification, it's not about a sense of right and wrong, it's not about merit or deservingness or fairness or justice. Forgiveness for Jesus is about canceling the debt. And it, when you think about it, it lines up with what Paul's trying to tell us of who the focus of forgiveness is. It's not on the offender. It's on the offended, because the offended have the power to cancel the debt. And that's what's so frustrating and oftentimes what's so anger-inducing about the debts that are incurred to the, incurred to us. When we're wronged and we're hurt, we feel like we're powerless that people have taken something from us that we can't get back. Sometimes we kind of develop this narrative or this story around the reasons that we're angry and the wrongs that have been done to us. And it's like, well, how else should I have felt? Of course I'm supposed to feel this way. There's a sense that we don't have any agency in the dynamic. Jesus restores agency in this parable. He says, forgiveness is about canceling the debt. And the master let him go. The story goes on. But when the servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver. Much smaller amount, an amount that could have been repaid. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him and he said, pay back what you owe me. Pay me my money. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. And he says the exact same thing that the other servant said. Be patient with me. And I will pay it back. But this servant responds differently than the master does. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That just as is the exact same phrase that Paul uses In that passage in Ephesians, forgiving others just as God through Christ forgave you. Now, the roles start to make sense. Who's God in this story? It's the master. That one's pretty obvious. Who are we in this story? Unfortunately, we're the servant that asks for forgiveness to an amount that we can't repay and refuses to cancel the debt of an amount that could be paid. Who are the other people? They're the ones who had the small debt outstanding to us. This is what's happening. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand about forgiveness, that we all owe a debt that we could never repay to a master who has canceled the debt on our behalf. How dare we refuse to cancel the debt to the other people? Debts that can be repaid in a different measure to the one that we can't repay. He says, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then, in case we weren't clear what the point of the story was, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. Where? From your heart. Forgiveness is a heart issue. Just like all of these other emotions that we're navigating. It's all based on our heart. And so the point of all of this is really, really simple. We go through life and people hurt us and people wrong us. And it's normal to feel like they owe us. What Jesus is saying is if you're going to follow me, then the response to the hurt, the response to the debt that has been incurred against you, is cancel the debt. Now, there's a lot of questions, I think, that come up when we hear this definition of forgiveness. These questions about like, right, but I still feel and I still remember and I still, yeah, all of those things will happen. All of those things are true. The focus of this process is on your heart, not on the change or the impact that it's going to have on the individual which begs the question, is this something that I should do to somebody and should I tell them that I'm forgiving them and canceling the debt? In most cases, probably it's not that helpful because they'll probably disagree with you about, about the debt that's incurred. Maybe the one exception to this is if somebody comes to you asking for forgiveness. But I think there is a process through the story that Jesus kind of names that helps us understand what it looks like to how we can actually forgive in our own life and the way that we can begin to release the hold that anger has over each of us. So here's the first step. You have to identify the offender. Now, typically, what we do is maybe you can think of a person or a season or a group of people, and it's a little bit broad or a little bit more general. But I think a really helpful part of this process is the specificity. For some of you, you've been angry for so long, maybe you've forgotten why you're angry or who you're angry at. What would it look like to go through and name the people? Name the situations. Maybe, maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's God. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people who can be named and identified as the offender. What would it look like to take the time to build that list out? It would be slow and it would be painful depending on how long your ledger is. But the first step is to actually accurately identify who you feel like owes you, who you feel like has wronged you in some way because you can't move past it, even if you have forgotten about it or even if you feel like, well, that doesn't bother me anymore. That debt's still outstanding. And until you cancel it, it's still there. So the first step is to identify the offender. The second step is you have to define the debt. And this will be tricky. It'll be more difficult than identifying who the offenders are. What is it that you feel is owed you? What would you want them to repay you? Is it your reputation? Is it a friendship? Is it a sense of self-esteem? Is it affection? Is it time? Is it attention? Is it a decade? Is it a marriage? What is it that you feel like is owed you? And name the debt. And then here comes the part that we won't wanna do. Cancel the debt. Say to yourself and say to God, This person who owes me this, I have canceled that debt. They no longer owe me. It doesn't mean that I wish that it happened. It doesn't mean that I'd go back and choose it again. It doesn't mean that I'm going to actually be able to forget about it. It doesn't mean that the pain of those actions or that situation doesn't still exist. It means that I'm saying it no longer has hold over my life. I'm no longer prisoner to this debt. Because when we're waiting for everyone to pay us back, the person that pays is us. When you spend your life waiting to be paid back, you pay. And the people closest to you pay. So cancel the debt. And then the last step. Close the case. My guess is some of these people who you have named and who you will identify owe you certain things and whose debts that you may choose to cancel... Are gonna still be in your life. And there's gonna be a new opportunity for them to wrong you, to hurt you, or to reopen a debt that maybe you had already canceled. Close the case. Doesn't mean you forget. Doesn't mean that you don't set up different boundaries, that you develop uh, relational tools to handle that relationship differently. Doesn't mean that you allow them to continue to impact you or harm you or interact with you in the same way. All of those things are valid. That's not a part of this process of forgiveness. Because again, forgiveness is about canceling the debt. It's about inner heart transformation work. All the other stuff, how you develop and set up this relationship to be healthier, to ask for what you need differently, to set up appropriate boundaries, all of that's important. But in the process of forgiveness, you have to identify who's wronged you. Identify what the debt is. Cancel the debt and then close the case. That means you choose not to reopen the case. There may be new debts that are incurred, but do not reopen the case. Now, this is hard, this is uncomfortable, but this is the type of like heart work and inner work that's going to set you free. This life is too short and too precious to be caught and locked up in a prison of anger and bitterness because of all of the things that have happened to you? What would it look like if you begin to cancel debts in your life? What would it look like for your heart, for your relationships, for you to name those debts and say, no more, they're canceled. I want to live a life that's full and free and I won't be a prisoner to this anymore. I'm going to pray for us. I know we're over time, but some of y'all haven't been here in a while and so we're going to go along. <laughs> For the rest of you who have been here, we're a community. We do this together. Cancel the debt on your way out. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to invite the ushers forward, and then Michael and the band are going to lead us in one last song. And as they play this song, it's a short song, don't worry, like Stairway to Heaven Light. I want you to think about these steps, identifying the offender, naming and defining the debt, canceling the debt, and closing the case. And so as they play the song, I hope that you'll start to build this list and start to name the debts and start canceling them. So let me pray for us. We'll send the ushers up and Michael and the band will lead us in one last song. God, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to be reminded that the way forward and through and out of anger is ultimately God is forgiveness. But it's forgiveness, God, based in the forgiveness that we've received from you first for a much bigger debt that we could never repay. Help us to keep in mind that the focus of forgiveness is releasing ourselves to live into the fullness of who you've created us to be. God has forgiven people, help us forgive others. We pray this in your name, amen.